1: Hannah Dreyer is a reporter at The Washington Post. She likes to look at the vast and tangled immigration infrastructure we've built in this country from a very particular point of view. I noticed something about your reporting when I was looking back at the work you do, which is like you spend a lot of your time talking to teenagers. I'm I'm wondering why.
0: I think part of it is that I'm interested in ways to get people to pay attention to stories about immigration. So I have tended to focus on the people who seem the most vulnerable. Just in reporting, it keeps I keep coming back to young people and minors as the people who are being most impacted by the changes that we're seeing in the immigration system. The
1: government acknowledges that young people are especially vulnerable. Minors who migrate here are given education, even therapy, before they're released. But a few months back, Hannah started to notice this change in how kids and their lawyers were thinking about this help.
0: I was talking to immigration advocates and immigration lawyers about the way that therapy works in migrant child shelters, And people started to tell me about cases where their clients had been deported or had been held because of what they had told therapists.
1: Just for a second, think of all the weird things you might tell a therapist, especially if you had just traveled a few hundred miles on your own and landed in a detention center on the border with no idea of what would happen
0: next. And a lot of lawyers told me about cases like this in which some tossed off remark or a dream they had that they shared with a therapist came up in legal proceedings. A dream? Yeah. Yeah. I heard a couple cases like this. One lawyer told me about a client who had dreamed of a relative's death. He'd been having nightmares about this death. And he told a therapist that. And what went into his file was that he had killed the relative. Another case that I heard of out of Chicago was a kid who had had to witness the murder of his friend and felt really guilty and and really responsible, was having post-traumatic stress syndrome. And he was dreaming about his friend's death, and he told the therapist he was dreaming about it. He felt responsible for it, and he was then transferred to high security because it was written down as he killed his friend.
1: It just sounds like a really macabre game of telephone
0: Yeah, and things can be lost along the way.
1: Today, Hannah's going to tell the story of a person who got lost along the way. When rules about migrants and therapy changed, not many people paid much attention, except for the kids who were shocked to find their innermost thoughts were being used against them. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: The delicious ice cold taste of Dr. Pepper has a lasting effect on people. Lindsay from Sacramento said, Pro tip,
1: 40 degrees is the perfect temperature for an ice cold Dr. Pepper.
0: Why is 40 degrees the perfect temperature for Dr. Pepper? We brought in Sue from Duluth, Minnesota to tell us.
1: Oh yeah, I know a thing or two about cold. Oh, that right there is the perfect kind of ice cold for Dr. Pepper.
0: I'd share that with my friend Nancy. She likes Dr. Pepper, too, you know. My All right, that'll be all, Sue. Having a perfect temperature for your Dr. Pepper? It's a pepper thing. Inspired by real fan posts.
1: Hannah first got to know a migrant named Kevin Useda from the thousands of pages of court documents his student lawyers shared with her. These documents included page after page of therapeutic notes from conversations Kevin thought were confidential
0: his legal file is three years old now. And it's about 2,000, maybe 3,000 pages. It's huge. It's just banker's boxes that have been sitting on my desk for months. And so it's all of his medical records. It's all of his therapy notes. It's all of his It's everything anybody in the child welfare system, basically, ever wrote about him, and then everything ICE wrote about him, and everything he wrote about himself, all of his own sworn declarations. So I got to know him first through those documents. Kevin and his sister fled
1: Honduras just after President Trump took office, back in 2017. MS-13, the gang, had taken over Kevin's house, gotten him to sell drugs— and tried to convince him to kill for them.
0: Kevin and his sister were both forcibly recruited by the gang MS-13. They came north because they had heard that people could get away from the gang by asking for asylum in the US. And they knew people who had been able to do this, people who had been in the gang and had fled and were, as far as anybody knew, just living their lives in the US and hiding. So when they crossed the border, they turned themselves over to Border Patrol. And Kevin's sister had just turned 18. But because she was an adult, she was taken to the adult detention center. And Kevin, because he was a minor, was turned over to the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is really a child welfare agency.
1: And did they think by turning themselves over to Border Patrol that
0: they would be able to seek asylum? Yeah, I mean— From Kevin's perspective, he was forced into this gang. He was trying to leave for years, and he thought that if he got to the U.S., everything would fall in place, that he could explain what had happened and that he would be allowed to live here.
1: At first, Kevin was almost relieved to be in custody. While his sister was sent to an adult detention center, an experience that was so difficult that she opted to self-deport, Kevin was sent to a low-security shelter for kids.
0: That feels a lot like a group home. It's very cozy. There's nothing stopping a kid from walking out if they want to. There are windows. Yeah, there are windows everywhere. There's art in the halls. It smells really good. It smells like snickerdoodle cookies. And kids are usually released to live with their families or to live with a family friend within a few weeks.
1: But within a few days of arriving in the U.S., migrant kids like Kevin are required to speak to a therapist. And that is when Kevin's experience with the immigration system began to go wrong.
0: For two decades, kids have been required to talk to therapists while they're in migrant child shelters at least once a week. That requirement comes out of a lawsuit settlement that was meant to make sure that kids had the support that they needed while they're detained because it's a very strange thing to hold kids in detention like that. And therapy was meant to support kids, most of whom are coming to this country with severe trauma. And it's really just in the past couple years that that started to change. And it's been very confusing for the kids because everything is still set up to look like a child welfare agency. The staff still tell kids, we're on your side. We're trying to help you. You're safe here. But because of these policy changes, that's not always true now.
1: Yeah, you talk about this policy change. And Kevin arrived in the U.S. just as the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of Refugee Resettlement made this agreement. And it's an agreement, it sounds sounds like it makes sense. It's an agreement for information sharing about what's happening with kids who are coming across the border. But your reporting shows why it's so much more
0: than that. So can you just explain what this agreement was? Right, so it sounds... Very minor and innocuous, and I think that's part of the reason that it was under the radar for so long. The Office of Refugee Resettlement, which has custody over every unaccompanied minor who comes to this country, made a formal agreement with ICE to start sharing more information between them. And one of the things that they agreed to share was any time a child talked about gang affiliation or drug dealing. And so under the new policy, anytime a kid said something to a therapist about gangs, about forcible recruitment, anything, the therapist would have to file a report within 4 hours and within 1 day. That would have to be passed to ICE. And as file a result a of that report within 4 hours. That's right. So almost immediately, therapists now write up these notes after they talk to kids. Huh?
1: And Kevin's case really shows how big of a deal this is because he comes across the border. He goes to this migrant child shelter. He's introduced to a therapist who says, our our conversation will be confidential. What did Kevin tell this therapist when he met with her?
0: So Kevin had never talked to a therapist before. Kevin says he'd never talked to anybody who said that they wanted to help him and said that things would be Kept confidential. And he was excited to tell his story. So he told her about growing up in Honduras without his parents. He told her about how the gang had taken over his house after his grandmother died when he was 12. He told her about how the gang had forced him to run errands and later to sell drugs. So he tells her these
1: things. And under this new policy... Within four hours, she has to type it up.
0: That's right. So she types up his exact words in a lot of cases. And she paraphrases everything he said that mentioned violence. So, for example, she wrote, Youth denied committing murder. However, when asked if he had ever physically hurt another individual, Minor stated, I did things I regret. So it's a lot of that. Like, you can sort of see... That Kevin is using this almost as a confessional. It's the first time he's talking about all of this stuff. And she is required by this policy to write up everything he says that has to do with gangs and then pass it up the line.
1: And when this information got to ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Kevin got moved out of that cozy group home into a more
0: secure facility. About a week after this first conversation with the therapist, Kevin was transferred from this shelter, which was small and cozy, to a secure facility. There are only a couple secure facilities in the country for migrant children. Kevin was at the most secure, and it was essentially a, a jail for kids. So there were no windows at eye level. The... Kids sleep in cells. There are slots for passing in the kids' meals. Fights break out all the time, and the teenagers are sometimes strapped to chairs with mesh bags over their heads if they're acting out. And for Kevin, this was really shocking. And he was really confused. It's written down in his records that he said, Why am I being transferred? I haven't done anything wrong here. And it was explained to him that he hadn't done anything wrong, but because of what he had said, the government had decided he was dangerous and he couldn't be held with the rest of the migrant kids anymore.
1: How did these notes end up being used in Kevin's court filings? Like how did ICE bring them up when when they later went to court to try to decide where Kevin should go from here?
0: Nobody on Kevin's legal team knew that these notes existed. And at his first court hearing, the ICE attorney filed them into the record and then cross-examined Kevin point by point on everything he had said. So she filed these notes with the judge and then she asked Kevin, do you remember talking to somebody when you were at this migrant child shelter? And he said he did. And then she asked, do you remember saying that you sold drugs? Do you remember saying that you witnessed violence? Everything that he had said to this therapist, he then had to answer for in court. Was he surprised? He was shocked. And his lawyers were also shocked because nobody knew that this was a possibility. He says that he felt tricked and he started questioning everything and you know, that's one of the reasons that now he's so reluctant to talk to anybody in the detention center.
1: So when Kevin moved to a more secure facility away from the child shelter, he encounters another therapist, this guy Andrew Miles. And he stood out to me as one of the most compelling characters you reported on because he tried so hard to reach Kevin and draw
0: him out. Can you explain a little bit about who Andrew is and and what he did here? Andrew had worked as a probation officer for most of his career, and then he decided that he wanted to work with kids. And so he started working toward getting his therapist license and doing this counseling job in a high-security detention center for migrant children. And when he met Kevin, the first thing Kevin said was that he felt like his trust had been really betrayed in this first therapy session, and he wasn't going to tell Andrew anything. But because this therapy is required, Kevin still had to go every week. And some kids go to these therapy sessions every week and just sit in silence for the whole hour. But Kevin was so lonely, he started talking to Andrew. And little by little, Andrew started really winning his trust. And they developed this relationship that, to Kevin, I think is still one of the most meaningful relationships he's had with anybody since he came to this country three years ago.
1: But the rules about therapy were about to change again. When Kevin arrived in the U.S., counselors were only required to pass on their notes if a migrant revealed a gang affiliation. But by 2018, weekly therapy sessions were being used to, quote, develop additional information about detained migrants.
0: Kevin was much more careful when he was at this high security facility. He didn't talk almost at all about his past, but he did sometimes talk about feeling frustrated as the weeks were passing and he was still in this place that that feels like a prison. And so one day he said that he felt frustrated and like he was going to explode. And one day he talked about how he had felt humiliated by another detainee in the gym and wanted to throw a ball at that kid, but but instead went to cool down. And both of those disclosures were put into his file, and later they were both used by ICE.
1: Yeah, when you pulled the court filings, this one note that Kevin had this passing feeling that he was going to explode, it kept coming up again and again in court hearing after court hearing. And Seeing the full breadth of Kevin's therapeutic experience because you have those pages of documents, I wonder if you think that's
0: fair. I mean, most of the notes about Kevin are about how he's learning to control his emotions. There's one note that says Kevin is blossoming. There's one note that says Kevin is teetering between hope and despair, To me, the picture that emerged looking through all of these therapeutic records is that Kevin was learning to handle big emotions.
1: When Andrew, this therapist, learned how his notes were being used, what did he say?
0: I talked to him at a Starbucks near his home, and I offered to show him the documents that I had. And he said he didn't want to see it. He said it would sicken me.
1: He didn't want to look at all.
0: No, he didn't want to see his words in legal filings, I think. And he says that he didn't know that this was happening. And he heard rumors that it might be going on, but was never told for sure by anybody in the institution that his notes could be past ice. And he actually resigned um, a couple months after Kevin... Was transferred to adult detention. He said that he didn't feel comfortable working in the immigration system anymore.
1: It's so interesting. You've, you've said that this second therapist resigned more recently. The first therapist that Kevin spoke to resigned. It, it makes me wonder who is defending
0: this policy now. You know, the agencies involved defend this policy completely. The Office of Refugee Resettlement is the agency that is actually taking these notes and passing them to ICE. And the Office of Refugee Resettlement says that they need to balance confidentiality with national security, essentially. And if a kid is going to be a danger to the community, then they need to alert the rest of the federal government. And ICE says, well, look, it's not us that's taking therapy notes and deciding to make them public. ORR is giving us these documents. What are we supposed to do with them? ICE's job is to enforce immigration law.
1: Are there people who have spoken out in favor of this policy, like anyone within the administration who said this is how this is helping us?
0: Yeah, I mean, the political appointees at the Office of Refugee Resettlement have been defending this policy and touting this policy to Congress since 2017, And in their congressional testimony, these officials say, don't worry, we are keeping track of who is in these migrant child shelters. They meet with therapists, and if they disclose criminal activity, those therapists report it up the line. So... The federal government, I think at this point, is really standing behind this policy. Although, I mean, it's maybe worth noting that they never announced it as a policy change. It's all been done in a pretty low-key way. So they haven't been called upon to defend it publicly very often.
1: Hmm. And of course, as you said, it's not just Kevin who's going through this. In your reporting, you give another example, a teenager who had been detained for 11 months and said to shelter staff that he wanted to die. And then in an asylum hearing... That confession was read aloud as evidence he was a danger to himself and should be deported. Just sounds like weaponizing
0: any admission of weakness. Yeah, I mean the the main professional organizations that set ethics for therapists are are making statements this week in response to the story, and they're talking about just that. They say that young people have to be able to trust their therapists, and young people who come to this country and ask for asylum are especially likely to have complex trauma that they're going to need to talk out with someone. And if they can't trust the therapists that are working in these shelters, then who can they talk to?
1: So let's talk about where Kevin's case is now in in some ways he's lucky he has these lawyers who are representing him even though they are students you you tell this really touching story of when they went in front of the judge and the judge had to talk them through a breathing exercise so they could calm down and argue on his behalf and how many how many times have these lawyers and this judge gotten together how many hearings have there been oh nobody nobody can keep track maybe 15 And every time that Kevin is, quote unquote, in front of a
0: judge, it's mostly by video monitoring, right? Every time. That's right. The government has decided not to let him attend his hearings in person. And for a while, his student lawyers were protesting this by going and sitting with him instead of in the courtroom and making their arguments via video link, sitting next to Kevin in this detention center to try to remind the judge that it's hard to hear, it's hard to understand when somebody is not actually in the courtroom. But so far, Kevin, you know, he really hasn't been out of a detention center in the U.S., not even to go to a courtroom. You've said the judge has
1: found that Kevin should get asylum. So why is he still detained?
0: The judge has done everything possible to have him released. She's granted him asylum. She's also ordered him released on bond twice and set the lowest allowable bond. But ICE has decided that this case is a high priority to pursue because Kevin is a danger to the country. And so every time the judge orders him release, ICE appeals.
1: So the judge can prevent Kevin from being deported, but she can't prevent him from staying in detention. She
0: can't just get him out, right, because ICE can appeal her order that he be released. And then that's a whole other process that can take a year. When he left, the gang sent him messages saying, nobody leaves this gang and survives. We're going to find you. The devil is going to come for you. When he talks about self-deporting, it almost feels like talking to somebody who's suicidal. He talks about it in a very fatalistic way. He sort of globalizes about his life. He'll say, I've learned a lot. I've had good experiences. I've made friends. It It sounds like a suicide note. Yeah, it's very disturbing to to hear him talk about it like that. People who have death sentences from the gang who go back to places like El Salvador and Honduras do get killed. I mean, there have been cases where the gang will stake out deportation flights and target people at the airport. So sometimes when I talk to Kevin, it sounds adolescent to me it sounds like he is expressing how how desperate he feels or how frustrated he feels but a judge has ruled that if he goes back it is likely he'll be killed and I think it's just very scary for him to think about doing that but then it's also terrible for him to imagine staying detained without even a a release date to count down to, I think the uncertainty and the loneliness is what makes him think he might self-deport even though it's so dangerous.
1: Hannah Dreyer is a national reporter for The Washington Post. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Mara Silvers, and Danielle Hewitt. I'm Mary Harris. You can catch me all day long on Twitter, at Mary's Desk. And I'll be back in this feed with another episode tomorrow.